he, meaning Christ, who began a good work, you know, in you or among you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So God, who is Christ, creates this work in us and will complete it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. It is a journey of faith that you have to go on. It's not something you can opt out of. It's not something you can quit. You're either growing or shrinking in your faith, (laughs) and we want to be part of your growth plan in this new year. So please make sure you are tuning in twice a week to join us in building your faith. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. Douglas Peak. Yeah, I'll tell you, you know, growing your faith is very important. That's what I want to do this year, help people grow their faith, but I want to shrink myself physically. Physically, you, know? you want to grow spiritually, shrink physically. Yeah, my doctor, I saw waistline. my doctor yesterday, my cardiologist, and he said that for every 10 pounds you lose, that's 10 points off your blood pressure. So now I'm motivated. Now you're ready to <laughs> rock and roll, huh? <laughs> I'm ready to go. Yeah, I'm excited about the year. I'm excited about the things we're going to study. I think some things are going to be really become more and more clear. And people who are regular listeners of the Salty Pastor, I think that things are going to really uh, become more in focus for you over this year. I think you're going to be able to set more goals. Mm. Uh, I was listening to a guy... Uh, talk about a study out of Harvard, and he said it was one of the biggest longitudinal studies that Harvard had done. It was okay. over 50 years, and they went back and they studied all of their graduates, you know, a huge chunk, like 1,500 to 2,000 graduates over 50 years who had joined this program. And they said the thing that they found, the one common denominator between successful and non-successful people. doesn't matter if you got good grades at Harvard or bad grades. It doesn't matter what kind of industry you graduated in or degree program you had at Harvard. Uh, None of those things they found really mattered that added to your success. The one thing that all of these people that succeeded had in common is they set goals. Mm. They set goals. So this year I want you to set goals. I want you to have spiritual goals because your life, you know, it's really important. Absolutely. It's so important that you're setting goals because that's the best way for you to make yeah. actual progress, yeah, right? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. Pastor Harvard likes to recommend the Atomic Habits book. Yeah. I've been re- listening to that as an audio book, and yeah. it talks about who do you want to be and what what changes do you want to make in your life. Don't say, "Oh, I want to just look," you know, yeah. "I want to eat less crappy food." It's like, who do you want to be? I want to be right. someone who doesn't eat crap. Right. I want to be in a better shape. shape. And same thing with your faith. If you want to be someone who's focusing on their faith that has to be the person you want to be and then you set goals you work backwards from who you want to be yeah and then make plans and habits from there so set goals make habits yeah to actually develop and i think something really important that you said on sunday actually was i've never heard you say it before but it was really profound and that was life's too short to be shallow yeah. you know not too important too important yeah. right or and, short, and you only have a short amount of time yeah you're right life yeah. is too important to be shallow and so doing these little fads and things are not, it's not the way to really live your best life, right? Yeah, and I think that's really critical, the whole notion that our society is trying to lull us into being a sheep, you know, where all you care about is eating grass and finding water and you let somebody else do all the work for you, Mm. you know? That's not good, that's not a good place to be. You're not designed for that, you're not meant for that, it's not good for your mental health or your spiritual health or any physical health, any type of health, to just be a passive, placid, looking for pleasure only kind of person. 
Yeah. That's shallow. Well, what are we talking about today? What biblical principle are we diving into today based on what we were talking about on Tuesday? Well, if you remember, what we're talking about this year is the kingdom of God. And Philippians is basically a really great book that clarifies the difference between living each and every day in the kingdom of God and or living in the world, right, okay. in its kingdom. And that when you're living in the kingdom of God, regardless of what's happening in the world, you can be joyful. It's often called the joy book, you know. And right. so the principle in the first 18 verses that he lays out is the probably the main theme that you'll find throughout the whole book is found in verse six where he says i am confident of this very thing so you have to understand that's a very strong language he's saying i am confident of this this is true this is an axiomatic truth it is an altruism it's gravity it's 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 powerful and that is he meaning christ who began a good work you know in you or among you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. So God, who is Christ, creates this work in us and will complete it. So I want to focus on this principle and what it reveals, okay? Very something specific. First of all, when you come to salvation in Jesus Christ, guess what? There is a beginning of a good work in you, right? Which okay. secondly, God is doing the work. So God is to will and to work for his good pleasure in your life. He tells the Ephesians that. So it's really important to understand God is working in Jesse's life. God is working in my life. God is working in everybody who's been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. So when you're saved, Jesus says it's like being born again and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the divine presence of Jesus Christ in your life. So consequently, when you come to salvation, God begins a work in you. It is an active thing on his part. It's not a passive thing. He is designer of this work. You could call him the chief executive officer of the work, but he's also the COO, the chief operational officer. You mm -hmm. know, he's what's making it happen through the Holy Spirit. He's also the CIO, the chief information or technology officer, right? He's the right. one who's giving you the information and the guidance and the leadership and how to do this. The key point is that a work was begun in you when you came to salvation and it is designed and led by God. The other thing he says in this one verse, there's a lot of stuff in this verse. He says, he began the work and he will complete it. So that means the work is not complete right now. Okay. Okay. It we're in process, right? So it started and now you are in process. As long as you are walking on the face of the earth, you are physically alive in this material world. So God's purpose and plan is to complete this work in you, complete the process. So there are things in this world that help that process. And there are things that hinder that process. The things that help it are the things in the kingdom of God, the values, the principles, uh, all of the, the, the important stuff in the kingdom of God enhances this process, right? But right. everything in the kingdom of the world does what? It hinders the process. So what I've just described is a great in-between, right? When I'm alive in this world, but I come to Christ, I am made a citizen of heaven. I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, I'm still living in this world. 
Okay, so the good work that God is doing in you and in me is happening during this great in between. In other words, we are citizens of heaven, but not yet. Okay. Right? We're still alive. So the more I know about the kingdom of God, the more I know about its purpose, its intent, how it operates, what it values, the principles, um, the language it speaks, all of the things that make the kingdom of God what it is, the more I understand what's going on in me, through me, in this thing that is called the great in between, this thing that we call life. So... I think something that people struggle with a lot um, when they're reading the Bible is this was written for the people of the time, right? And right. we yeah. are thousands of years. We ago. are two thousand years past <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, that is true. We have um, a lot of the context and and the understanding mm -hmm. of what they were doing and how that was written for their time is kind of lost on us, especially in Western culture, because yeah. we just don't really care most of the time. It's no, just, we don't. It's just something that we don't study, right? And so. How does the world we live in today influence this biblical principle and its application or, or vice versa? How does this biblical application and principle yeah. apply to us today, I guess, is is maybe the better question. Well, I, I mean, that's a really great question. I think in, in, a, in a real general sense, uh, we're dealing with the exact same issues that they, they dealt with 2,000 years ago, right? 2,000 years of quote unquote progress. And we're still yeah. dealing with the same the exact same brokenness yeah. that they had. The writer of Ecclesiastes said, look, in the end, there's nothing new under the sun, you know, mm. any, you know, thing you can think of, you know, somebody uh, came up to me the week before last, I think it was, and they were just talking about the moral decline, you know, sexually in particular of our society, how it's just getting so crazy and how do you date or find somebody in this hookup culture and blah, 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 blah. And they were just, they were talking about, that and they says you know it's such a new thing and i just laughed he goes why are you laughing and i go bro we're, we're still three shades to the right of roman society mm. two thousand years ago i mean roman society was 10 times worse than we are now so it's super prevalent so the notion that it's new is not true and what i really like about that is this is so many people say that the morals, uh, the sexual ethics that the New Testament lays out, you know, uh, are no longer appropriate or relevant because we're 2,000 years down the road. Mm. But what's so funny is that the sexual morality in Rome in the first century was worse than the sexual morality we have today. So what I find uh, critical about that is it's probably more relevant than it ever was before. Mm. So... But in, in a general sense, what they were dealing with at its core is what is the definition of what it means to be a, a human being? What, what does it mean to be a male? What does it mean to be a female? Um, are these actual objective distinctions or not? Are they just creations of society along the evolutionary developmental track? What does it actually mean to be alive? Uh, what, what does the life represented by Jesse, you know, mean? Does it have any intrinsic meaning or only the meaning society gives to it? These are some really big questions. They were asking the same questions. And 
What I find really interesting is that the definition of what it means to be a human being revealed in the scriptures, first and foremost, says, well, you do have intrinsic value because you have a soul. You are a spiritual being. Uh, this soul is created in the image and likeness of God. Your, your soul has value because it's created in his image. Your soul has either a masculine or a feminine quality to it. And that tells us that because it says in the image of God, he created them male and female. Right. What I find interesting is so then now your biology, right? Objective biological science has established the fact that all mammalian biology across the board, just not homo sapiens have a male and a female and you, in order for life to continue, the male and the female have to procreate together. They come together to create a new living soul. This is one of the most beautiful things about having children is that you are invited to co-create with God. One of the reasons why you should have children and as many children as you can is because you were designed for this. And when you start doing that, so many things change in your life. It's fascinating to me how many women that I knew who were feminists, right? Over the last 37 years that I've been a full-time pastor, I knew them in high school and they would come and they'd argue with me about how I'm a troglodyte because I believe in all of these traditional ideologies, right? Then they go to college, they get even more radical, you know, and then they find someone to marry them. And because their parents, you know, are still connected, I have to go and do their wedding ceremony, which is fine. And then and then they have these issues and these problems. They don't have anybody to talk to. So they reach out to me and I talk to them. And then they turn 30, they turn 31. And these women that were so anti-faith, anti-God, anti-this, so pro-feminist, they have a child and you know what happens? Their entire emotional makeup changes. Well, and I've mm-hmm. even seen that just in one of my friends. She came and visited not too long yeah. ago, um, was talking about how she had started seeing a guy that was you know, being a very traditional male of like, I want to be chivalrous. I want to open doors for you. I want to pay for things and was just very forward with her. He's like, this is who I am. If you don't like it, that's fine. I'm a man. And she's like gone almost 180 on how she believes. Yeah. Uh, Cause she was pretty radically feminist and yeah. you know, in this third wave feminism thing yeah. of, uh, you know, yeah, the crazy stuff. I, yeah. And now like we had dinner and she was talking about how she was really enjoying these things. And like, she was kind of reevaluating maybe what she'd been told. And I'm like, just takes some time. Apparently. I mean, she's not in her thirties yet, but she's getting close to yeah. and, and she finally realizing what she's really wanting out of life and what, fills her up, I guess. Well, I think this is comes down to your definition of what it means to be a human being. And that is when I become what I was designed to become. Now, biblically, it lays this out in the scripture, but I could make the exact same argument as an atheist. Mm. I can make the exact same argument as an atheist. Let's say you don't even believe in God. Go down this little mental experiment with me for a second. Okay. You don't believe in God. You're a scientific materialist. You're an atheist. There is no God. And you postulate that and believe it. Okay. Well, what does that what does that mean? What are the implications? Well, the implication is this, is that we evolved, right? Since there is no creation, we evolved, right? And what is the primary, what is a primary push drive uh, in the origin of the species? Or what is it that drives evolution forward? It is the subconscious need to procreate. All it ca- It's like a virus. All it wants to do is reproduce. That's okay. it. Nothing else. 
Okay, this is why uh, the underlying thing in the Matrix, Matrix, where they call human beings a virus, right? Yes. That they can't get rid of. You see, because we evolved in their minds, and so what happens is you're just a virus propagating itself. So. If you, your instincts, according to scientific materialists, they also believe you have no free will, you have no sentience, you have no soul, you, you know, you're the notion that you're alive and you have free will and you have consciousness is a falsehood. It's an illusion, an evolutionary illusion to try to, it's like the matrix to get you to be the battery that you are. Right. You know, that's all you're beat. You're driven by your instincts and your instincts are procreate, procreate, procreate. Right. So what happens if you come up with an ideology where you choose not to procreate purely from an atheistic standpoint, then you die. Yeah. Because but, you, but you're also fighting against what that natural urge that that is natural instinct you. within you. So you're living your life in congruence with your drive, right? So you can make the exact same argument as an atheist. I wouldn't encourage people to do that because I think scientific <laughs> materialism and atheism uh, requires a level of faith that most human beings don't have. Nobody actually lives that way, and therefore it is a complete fallacy. And people who say that they are atheists or agnostics are only people who are angry or mad at God, and they've come up with an ideology to make them feel better about their horrendous morality. And please, if you're an atheist and you're listening, don't call me and say atheists are moral because you're moral. That is the most ridiculous, shallow argument that you will ever make. If you're an atheist, you're a scientific materialist, by definition, you believe there is no objective morality. There is no objective moral duties. They do not exist. So just because your morality says something that you think the general populace agrees with. There are other atheists in other countries who think that it's not important to love your neighbor. You're supposed to eat your neighbor. So it's patently ridiculous. Okay. So that's a little salty. Let's get back on track. <laughs> the, the nature definition of human being is critically important. And the Bible teaches specifically that you do have a soul. You do have free will. You're a spiritual being. You've been created. You have a masculine a vibe or a feminine vibe, okay? Genesis says over and over again that your soul isn't purely a spiritual thing, right? Separated from the material universe. What he's saying is that your body, this material world, your mind influences your soul. Your soul influences your body and your mind. And that's why Paul says in the New Testament over, you know, your the soul sometimes is referred to the heart. So he mm -hmm. says your heart mind and body or your soul, mind and body. And the, the whole point is that's what makes you a person. It's your physical body, the way you think, right? Your, your will, your emotions, as well as your soul. The Bible goes on to say that your soul and physical body is what makes you a sovereign individual with free will, meaning you can make choices and your choices impact your life. They impact your soul. They impact your mind. They impact your physical body, right? Right. And that develops you. Finally, the Bible says that your soul has been tainted by the God of this world, the kingdom of this world, because you physically live in it. And so there is a battle in your soul going on. Right. Correct. And that's why you can't always trust your soul or your mind or your emotions. Right. And that's why the, one of the most important questions that every follower of Christ who wants to live in the kingdom of God on a regular basis should ask them. And that is, how do I know I'm not being deceived in this regard? Mm. How do I know I'm not being tricked? Uh, that's called discernment in the capacity to 
understand and know the truth. It's also called wisdom. And that's really important. The Bible says that in order for the taint of your soul to not influence you so that the kingdom of this world doesn't influence you, you must be healed and made whole, redeemed by the blood of Christ, not only in your soul, but this redeems your mind. It redeems your body. All of you is to come into alignment. And once that happens, the soul is cured. It's in the process of being, it's cured in salvation. And then Paul says later on in, in Philippians chapter two, work out your salvation, fear and trembling. So you go back to this thing, we're in the in-between where I am learning how to live in the kingdom of God, even though I live in this world. So I know I spend a lot of time on this subject. What does it mean to be a human being? But it's incredibly important. And the more that you understand it, the more clearly the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world uh, become and helps you understand why your life is the way it is. So talk to me um, about why this difference is so important when it comes to the kingdom of God. Well, the kingdom of God is about restoring what was meant to be. Okay. Restoring what was meant to be. What was before the fall. The kingdom of this world is about destroying what was meant to be. So you have restoring what was meant to be the kingdom of God, destroying what was meant to be the kingdom of this world wants to destroy the kingdom of God. It wants to exist in rebellion against the kingdom of God. Now, as I said earlier, scientific atheism teaches you have no soul. There's no one spiritual uh, aspect to your nature as a human being. There is no afterlife. There is no objective morality. As I said before, there is no spiritual value given to you. So you as a human being have no intrinsic value whatsoever. You're a weed or a virus in the material world. That's it. You, because of that, you have no free will. You have no choice. Your choices don't matter because your choices simply are the result of your social conditioning. This is why when an atheist says, well, atheists can be moral because I'm moral are arguing in a circle. You see what they're saying is irrational and illogical. Number three, there's no difference between males and females. There is no masculine quality to the soul or to the mind or the body. There is no feminine flavor to the soul or the masculine, you know, or I'm sorry, the feminine body and mind. In other words, men and women don't think differently at all. They're just socially conditioned mm. to think that way. Physically, they aren't different at all, which it takes all of two seconds to realize that this is patently false. But when you're an atheist or an agnostic or a scientific materialist, you know, or a radical feminist, you can postulate these things because ideology is not rational and it's not based on any type of objective fact. It's postmodern in nature. You can make up whatever you want and it's real. Why? Because you believe it to be real so bad and you feel it. Mm -hmm. It's just patently ridiculous. Since there's no real impact on your soul, this is what's really important. Because your, your, your decisions have no impact on your soul and morality is simply a creation of society, the, there's no impact on your soul because of the guilt you feel or the shame you experience due to your actions. You see, the, the guilt that you feel and the shame that you experience 
when you go down a certain path or you do something, the reason why you feel that way isn't because of your soul, because you don't have one. It isn't because of your own morality. That doesn't objectively exist. It's because of what society has imposed upon you. Therefore, the conclusion is if we get rid of all the standards or if we change society, no one would feel guilt or shame. Okay. Now these values have radical implications. This way of thinking has a radical implication and nobody is standing up and challenging it in, in a way that I feel is, uh, is incredibly effective, right? Um, there are some people that you can listen to and follow. Some people do follow those people, but overall our society, like our mass media, Hollywood books and literature, our libraries, our universities, nobody is articulating the radical implications of these ideologies that they've adopted. All they care about is indoctrinating people into them. Right. And that's what's so, so difficult. Like for instance, the Marxist ideology that is built on this scientific materialism or atheism and Marxist ideology, the individual is not sovereign. The individual has no intrinsic value. Therefore there are no objective rights that that individual has based on their existence. In Marxist ideology, the individual is a weed or a virus that is subservient to the collective. That This plays out in two ways, socialism and communism. In socialist countries, this means the state owns the means of production. So you don't own your labor, the state owns it. Now, this is called modern day slavery, when you don't own your labor, mm. okay? Number two, communist countries, not only say, does the state own your labor, the state owns all of you, what you think, how to think there's zero individuality. Right. Okay. And that's radical when you think about it, but it's, it, we see it all the time. Cancel culture comes from this Marxist ideology. Uh, that human beings don't have a soul. Human beings don't have any objective morality. They have no intrinsic value because they can easily say is that, well, whatever you think that departs from our standard or what we think is an act of violence. And so, you know, we're going to cancel you and get rid of you and eliminate you, you know, well, good luck with that because guess what? Human beings are sovereign. Human beings have free will. They think for themselves. So the more you try to cancel them, guess what you do? You just create this massive community of people who say, no, I don't think so. Mm -hmm. You know, communists have said that over the, in Russia is really interesting. A real famous general, he said who he was a general. Then he went over into the, the pull-up bureau and he was involved in something about uh, taking care of the, the thoughts and the minds of the people trying to produce more communists for the Communist Party. And you know what's really interesting is he said this, we found that Christianity is like a nail. The harder you hit it, the deeper it goes. Mm. And so that's what these ideologies that are coming to America are. It's, a, it's an invalidation of the very Western civilization values that our nation was built on. Um, it, it, it comes out in many ways, these ideologies, the kingdom of this world, for instance, because there's no intrinsic value in humanity, the definition of a human being is this way. If you are sexually active and you get pregnant and you don't want to be pregnant, you have the right to terminate the pregnancy, the baby fetus, potential life, whatever you want to call it. 
has no intrinsic value whatsoever. Now, what's really fascinating is this is this is uh, from a philosophical standpoint and a societal decline standpoint is that the right to abortion was established in the 70s, right? Right. So now what has happened is 50 years later, we are seeing the implications of that thinking. And that is, is that once you take the rights of one group of human beings away, it becomes really easy to take the rights of what? Others. Any gr- any other group that you deem unfavorable, right? You see, it's really quite fascinating. Uh, where do you think the idea comes from that a societal good? It's a good thing to have drag queen shows for children. We want children to to gender bend and dress up and perform in these things. Eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-olds. And then we want other children to come and see it. Why do we want to have a library on a Saturday, have a drag queen story hour where they read uh, LGBTQ plus affirming books to four-year-olds and three-year-olds? Why do we think that's a societal good? Where does that idea come from that this is a good thing for kids? Where does it come from? Well, it comes from the core foundational question, what does it mean to be a human being? And if you accept the, what God says, the kingdom of God says, this is what a human being is, then you would look at all of those things in the way that they're trying to groom kids into overt sexuality, sexual confusion, gender confusion. You're hurting them intellectually. You're hurting them emotionally, the development of their brain, the development of their physical bodies. You're, you're, you're hurting them in these ways. That makes absolute sense in all clarity. But if you have the kingdom of the world's mentality, that there is no intrinsic value, there is no soul, there's no this, it's just whatever we say, then you can come up with a notion that, well, we're doing this to save kids from committing suicide later in life. That's absurd. Because all the research says, the more you confuse kids sexually, the more you confuse them with these gender ideologies, the more mental health issues they have, not less. Right. Well... Pastor, I think these ideas, you've, you've proven where these ideas can lead and, yeah. and how they seem so innocuous to start, but then you start running them down the path and, and it can really cause some serious problems yeah. in society. And if you listen to the world's definition of who you are and what you are, it's a pretty bleak and not very optimistic outlook for the rest of your life. <laughs> well, it's or not society. good. Yeah. So um, any final comments before we wrap up? Well, I just think, you know, this study about the kingdom of God over the course of the year is going to be really helpful and clarifying for people because, you know, once you have a clear idea of what's going on, then it's easy to respond in love because we're called to respond in love, not right battle, you know, fury and right, right. We're, we're called to respond to love, but you don't even have any idea what real love is until you understand what a real human being is. Mm, absolutely. Well, thank you, pastor, for sharing all that. Thank you guys for joining us today. Make sure you tune in on Sunday so you can hear pastor Doug talk more about these, um, amazing points he brought up today and on Tuesday during our Bible study. And we'll see you here on Sunday at Foothills Christian church. Blessings and happy new year.